0: you're listening to Writers on Writing, a show about the art, craft, and business of writing. I'm Barbara DeMarco Barrett. Today my guest is literary agent Matthew Carnicelli, Matthew is the president of Carnicelli Literary Management, located in New York City and the Hudson Valley. He represents best-selling and award-winning authors publishing books in the areas of history, current events, sports, business, memoir, biography, health, literary fiction, and graphic novels. Since becoming an agent in 2004, he's focused on helping leading thinkers, journalists, academics, and others with exceptional stories or messages develop clear and original book ideas and partnering them with the best editors and publishers for their books. Matthew is a graduate of Washington University with a BA in English Literature and Political Science and received an MA from the University of Toronto in English Literature. He's taught college-level nonfiction writing and is a frequent guest on various writing and publishing industry panels. On the show, we talked about what he's looking for, comps, the author bio, queries, ageism, interpreting rejection, referrals, and much more. I bring to you Matthew Carnicelli. Matthew, it's so great to talk to you again. I looked it up. We talked last in 2007.
1: Oh, is that when <laughs> I was trying to think?
0: Yes, it's on the website. It's on writersonwriting.com for listeners who want to hear that that talk. Um so for those those listeners who were not here then or who did not listen to that, will you talk about how you found your way to agenting? How'd you become an agent?
1: Absolutely. Uh absolutely. And first of all, thank you for having me today. Uh it's great to see you. Um I started out uh, after college. I decided that, well, actually, I had a stint in college textbook publishing. And then I decided I wanted to get a PhD in English literature. So I went to the University of Toronto, and I got my master's degree. And in that process, I decided that Uh, everything I was doing was interesting, intellectually compelling. I was studying Virginia Woolf and James Joyce. I was talking about metaphor, but I was all completely, it was all very abstract and theoretical. And I felt this is just not what I should be doing. (laughs) This, I want to make some sort of contribution a little bit more a little more directly i don't want to write academic books um i would have liked to have taught and i have taught some writing courses subsequently but that role seemed wrong for me so you know i would talk to people and and just think a lot about things and Publishing just seemed like the natural place to go, especially since I had had some experience in college textbook publishing Mm -hmm. before I went to graduate school. Mm -hmm. So I decided to move to New York and get into book publishing. And I was very lucky to work at, what was it called then? It was N.A.L. Dutton. It was Mm -hmm. part of Penguin USA. Uh, And... I was able, to, I, I was an assistant. Obviously, you have to start out as an assistant. And, but I was able to start acquiring books pretty quickly. And, um, and it was cool too, because I was able to acquire the types of things that I was interested in. I, I started doing a lot of political books. Um, I did a lot of literary fiction. I did history. Um I did some business. I did some GLBTQ stuff. Um, and it was it was good. It was a good, it was a really good start to I, I fell in love with p- book publishing. It was great, it was just exciting, it was ideas, getting ideas out into the world, you know. So it was so different, you know, from the rarefied academic approach to literary theory and all of that. So that's kind of how I started. Um, do you want me to continue yeah, keep going. how I got into agency? Yep. Um Well, after, so I had a very nice position there, and I moved up the rungs, so to speak. Uh, but then after I was a senior editor, and then I took a job, I left Penguin. Uh, It just seemed like a good time to move on. And I took a job with a small company called Contemporary Books, which was part of the Tribune Company and which was then taken over by McGraw-Hill. And that that was an interesting experience. It was... It, it got me more interested in in actually very, very good business books and very good self-help books and some sports books. And it also offered me the opportunity to learn more about the business of book publishing because the Tribune company was acquiring other companies, smaller publishing companies. And I was kind of one of the more senior editors. So it was very interesting. Um, but that said, when McGraw-Hill took us over, I still had a pretty advanced position. I had five editors reporting to me. But it it I found it very stifling corporate. and corporate. And I didn't agree with a lot of the decisions that my superiors were making. And so ultimately, I had kind of moved away from the big idea of books that I really Found most compelling when I started my career, the big idea books. Mm-hmm. And so I quit and I started my own agency. And this was 2004,
0: 2005. Oh,
1: wow. okay. And, and but because of that experience with contemporary books in McGraw Hill, I had a lot more knowledge about um, kind of the more practical nonfiction, which I think is important you know, I think it's, it's, it's valuable. I mean, it, it's a, it's, it's tricky. I mean, everything in book publishing is tricky, but, but, you know, so for the past 20 years, I've, yes, I've been doing a lot more. I've gravitated more to back to what I was doing originally in my, my career as an editor. I'm doing a lot more you know, uh, a lot of history, current events, topical nonfiction, biography. Um, I do do some literary fiction. Uh, I do, I do some really cool graphic novels. Hmm. Um, and and it's it's going well. It's it's I love what I do. That's that's the bottom line. I love what I do. You know, I, I love helping authors. I, I it's 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 nice.
0: So, why do you focus mostly on nonfiction? I think
1: I work mostly on nonfiction because i i I think i I'm in a position where I'm able to help a lot of nonfiction authors or writers, uh, historians, a lot of academics. I do work with a lot of academics. I'm able, I hope, and, and I I think I am, I'm able to steer them a little bit sometimes. Whereas fiction, I do feel I'm a, a pretty good fiction editor and and I enjoy fiction. But I, I, I just would not want to do all fiction. I, there are plenty of agents who do all fiction and editors who do all fiction. Um, but I I like the I I'm a I'm I'm more of a nonfiction guy. I, I just I I I like the intellectual endeavors. I like coming across something that's so original and different and and then working with an author on, okay, that's that's good, but maybe we need to shift it a little bit. Maybe you'll have more success if you take it this way. You know, I, I like I like that.
0: And it sounds like you're more of a non-fiction reader. Is that true? I am
1: mostly a nonfiction. Yeah,
0: reader. I am. So you're coming at work that, that you enjoy as opposed to maybe what the marketplace wants or trends or I don't know. I mean, how does that work with you? Like trends in the market? Um... I don't pay a lot of attention <laughs> to trends. At this point, I've been doing
1: it quite a long time and... I've had a modest amount of success, and I don't really need to and and I never have that much fiction i I love good fiction i love like uh, but but it tends to be kind of you know heavy psychological fiction like uh uh remember a little life mhm sure you know? i mean that's probably you know, the best thing I've read in 20 mm-hmm. years. I mm-hmm. mean, that novel is brilliant. Right. You know, but that could, that kind of goes back to how I was reading fiction when, you know, I was studying Henry James. I mean, it's very similar to Henry James or, uh, you know, it's just that deep stuff. I mean, I could never do very commercial fiction, and, and you know, I've tried some, but I'm not very successful at it. I mean, I I might, since I do kind of let, do a lot of current events and politics, if I'd love to find a good political thriller, but I I I never really come across good political thrillers. I've tried a few over the years, but <laughs> with so so success.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And And I would think, too, that you have the editors that you work with and that you know what they want,
2: yeah, yeah, I mean
0: that has to be a big part of it, I would think that's a that's a
1: part of it, but i I also think you know, when you have publishers marketplace and everything, mm-hmm. you can so easily find, you know, who's acquiring what you know so i i often submit to people i don't really know Mm -hmm. know? and you know during covid that really shut down a lot of the lunch dates that everyone had and so i think you know the whole business landscape of book publishing is very different just like business everywhere these days i mean it's a real challenge i think
0: well, I was going to ask you, because you started around 2005 and I talked to you last in 2007 for, for, you know, a wild question, what's changed? I mean, you know, apart from COVID, what sort of sweeping changes have you seen in publishing or how you're dealing with publishing or publishers? Well,
1: I just don't, I don't feel it's as kind of intimate anymore. I think that I, I, I you know, there. I, I probably have five answers for that question. Okay. Um, on, on the one hand, I feel that I'm very concerned about younger people getting into book publishing. You know, it, you know, yes, my, many, most book publishing is in the New York area or three quarters of it. And, you know, when I was, a young editorial assistant you know you go to the editorial board meeting and you're shut down by the publisher or the marketing director or or what have you now how how is it done i mean you're you know the a lot of younger people or editorial assistants working out of apartments doing zooms Mm -hmm. that's why so many people seem to be leaving book publishing too which i think is a big challenge you know, I think a lot of younger folks are you know they're not as engaged perhaps in a way than when you're in a room and you have mentors and you have you know you, you're sweating, you're getting nervous, that whole thing. So on the one hand you have that you know kind of on the basic landscape of of how the publishing business works. Um, you know then of course other changes, uh, in the industry, is the lack of, of you know, the power of of print media anymore in terms of review coverage? Everything I mean, TikTok and social media seems to be with the best type of publicity that publishers can get. Um, you know, I think in terms of nonfiction book publishing. Uh, you know, especially in, the, in a lot of the areas that I work in, you know, social issues or political issues or issues of race. Um, I think that so often podcasting is is, is sufficient mm-hmm. for some of the big ideas that are being discussed, you know, throughout. So it's, there are those types of forces that are have changed the landscape quite a bit, I think.
0: Are reviews still important? I mean, I was looking at the New York Times book review on Sunday, and it seemed at, least at one of these Sundays, and there was something like maybe five uh, novels, and the rest were all narrative nonfiction and memoir. And I was curious, not so much the, you know, the percentages, but how important those reviews are. And are they more important for nonfiction or fiction, or does it matter, or is it still word of mouth, or
1: well, I think that word of mouth, especially for fiction, has has a huge influence. Um, I I I think that's how things get going. Um mm-hmm. for nonfiction books, certainly reviews help, but where, where they help so that they can be posted on mm-hmm. Amazon or or Org or, or something like that. You know if you know you still the, the way the marketplace works now, you're you're not fewer people are going to bookstores. Well, even if you do go to a bookstore, you pick up a book and it says New York Times Book Review on the back cover, that, that's probably going to help you buy the book. But now you just see that on Amazon or other book websites. Uh, so certainly the 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 uh, reviews can help, but I'm not sure they help in the way that they used to, like 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know where you know the he, when I was working in house and you'd get a rave review from the New York Times Book Review. You know it's it's sent to all the reps and you know all this buzz 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 push push push. Mm-hmm. I don't think it quite works that way anymore. Um, I think it's more, you know, I don't, I don't know. (laughs) There's still just so much is up in the air in the business, but you still have, you know, wonderful books that you expect to perform quietly and they take off, you know, And, and just because the writing is so beautiful or the message is so unique, and, you know, that's why we're all in book publishing, because that's what we're waiting for. That's what keeps us going.
0: What about blurbs? You know, writers on, on this end, writers talk about getting blurbs. You know, I got to get a blurb for my whatever it is. And how important, do you, think, do you think readers pay attention to blurbs when they're looking at books? I mean, especially in bookstores. Fortunately, we still have bookstores and I suppose blurbs are also on all the, you know, bookshop.org and Amazon, but how important are blurbs and do blurbs sell books?
1: I think blurbs are, are. I don't think they're that effective these days. I really don't. I think that where they they can help sometimes is for an aspiring author trying to get an agent. Mm-hmm. And that's the big battle. I mean, it's very, very hard to get an agent, you know, and you know, so many queries come in. And, you know, if you have a a, a great endorsement from a, a of someone who is writing um in an area similar to your field, whether it's fiction, a similar type of fiction, or whether it's uh, you know, you're a journalist and you have a you're an aspiring journalist. Um, I think endorsements from other authors would make that agent pay a little bit more attention, without a doubt.
0: So are you saying that if you're querying an agent, you should get a blurb from a writer? Are you talking I, more I, like I, referrals?
2: You,
1: no, I, I, I'm talking more about, I, I mean, I think it has to happen more organically. I wouldn't, I mean, if you have an opportunity, if you're a, a fiction writer and you have an opportunity, you know, to whether it's a teacher or or someone you've worked with, if that person would, if you gracefully say, Hey, do you mind if I use this in my pitch? I think that helps. Absolutely. Hmm. But I wouldn't, say that every aspiring author has to run out there and beat and <laughs> the bushes to get people to blur right. their work. Right. I mean, that's, that's crazy.
0: So on Substack recently, um, an agent wrote about, and I'm reading a note here that I made that I wanted to ask you about. She said that um, it's no surprise how bestsellers are made, that publishers know which books are going to be bestsellers and these are books which authors receive huge advances for and where there's a huge publicity budget what do you think about that
1: i think it's true <laughs> <laughs> i think there's an infrastructure now which 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 makes that true uh is that that's about this is about fiction right
0: um you know i think it was just about just books. She didn't. She. I'm looking at what I wrote. She didn't indicate whether it's fiction uh, or nonfiction. She's well, just talking. It could
1: be like celebrity stuff. or these are things that demand very large advances. And yeah, sure. Pub- there's a, a whole. Publishers need those bestsellers. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 that's why I don't know. I, I just I'm not very focused on <laughs> bestsellers. That's not my thing. I still come from the slightly academic background you know where i i just want i'm more interested in books that you know will make it in the long haul and mm-hmm. look at the current events space you know I, I used to do a lot more current events books and um i'm just I've, i'm not as drawn to them anymore
2: mm-hmm. you know
1: i'm much more drawn to more history books which will you know working with authors who historians who certainly have views and opinions on what's happening in today's you know terrifying landscape mm-hmm. but to use the lessons of history to enlighten us on what's happening today is i feel much more valuable than you know taking on a you know a very big journal tv pundit say who's going to write a book on you know that's going to last you know, it's going to be on the shelves for six months
2: mm-hmm. you know, that's
1: the thing with current events I mean like these books do not really last and then of course you have the a lot of the smarter commentary in the political space like I was saying being done you know in on podcasts
2: mm-hmm.
1: things like that you know like Rachel Maddow's very interesting podcast you know, right. which of course is developed into a book but um I just, I just, you know, okay, back to to the the Substack article. Yeah, I mean, publishers have to do that. I mean, the publishers have to sell. This is business. They have to, they have to spend the money on marketing and 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 advances and all of that. You know, and make those books bestsellers, or they will, you know, lose on their investment.
0: Right, right. So, um, so with narrative nonfiction. Do you, I would imagine you're approached with a query letter and and then it goes from there. Is is that correct? That you might ask for a proposal at that point, or would you ask for the entire manuscript? Or how how would it go beyond the query letter? Somebody querying you about whatever sort of nonfiction book they're, the query they're writing hoping to write.
1: Yeah, no, a, a great, you know, if a query letter comes in that that I find really, really interesting and compelling, uh, yeah, they better, they should have a book proposal ready. I will just say, thank you so much for your query. Uh, if you have a formal book proposal, please email it to me. And usually I like to see two sample chapters as well.
0: So then the book proposal would be, um, Comp titles, marketing, um, bio, book proposal.
2: Book
1: pro- I'm very, I'm very rigorous about book proposals when I send them out to editors. Mm-hmm. So they, yeah, they, they, a book overview. Why this subject is so important to them? What, what compelled this person to get into this subject? Competition is very, very important, uh, and then chapter summaries are very important. Uh, and of course, an author bio—why this person is the perfect person to write this book. Mm-hmm.
0: Does that go for memoir too? You handle some memoirs, that true? I handle
1: some memoir. I feel that memoir is uh much more dependent on the power of the writing
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, compared with some of the other nonfiction categories. So, in that sense. I I don't really need a proposal I'm more, maybe a, you know, a two page proposal or something like that. Mm-hmm.
0: And then would the memoirist have to have finished the book or a few chapters? Oh,
1: I would say at least a hundred pages,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, you have to memoirs tough. You have to have a, you have to really kind of have a, a critical moment. You know, where regardless of the, the expanse of, of the memoir, I just feel there has to be a turning point or a something that, that changes the author's viewpoint in some seminal way that compels them in some seminal way, you know, it, whether it's a crisis point with things coming to a head or... Um, uh, or some some subtle change even. I mean, the really, I can't think of good ones off the top of my head, but uh, I, I feel that, that that moment of change is always needed in a memoir.
0: Before we bring Matthew back on, a few words about Patreon. Consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash writers on writing. There are perks for patrons. A few dollars a month goes far in helping us to continue bringing the show to you. You can also help the show by buying your books at bookshop.org, shop Writers on Writing, where you will find books by authors who've been on the show, as well as other books we like. And now more with Matthew Carnicelli. Um, OK, so, so back to the proposal then. So you get a proposal, you talk with the author, you two are a fit, then what? Are you working for months, weeks, years on getting the proposal ready to send out? Or do you like them to come in where they're pretty ready? And there's very little you have to do um, before you then go to editors. With the project. Uh,
1: unfortunately for the author, I <laughs> tend to be quite heavy uh <laughs> with with the proposals. They really have to be quite perfect. So we're often going through many drafts. Um you know it 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 well here, my my kind of process with authors is uh is first First and, and, and I' and I'll do this with all of my authors and and what's what's also different a bit from when we talked back in 2007 is I I have a lot of authors, but I also, the authors I have have been doing multiple books. Mm-hmm. So I feel that my role is a lot different than it was in 2007. And it's a nice position to, I mean, I've lost some authors or some authors just did one-offs, you know, one book or so. But I love the feeling of helping the author for the whole career, you know, and doing multiple books with that person and advising on, okay, maybe that's not the next best book to do. Maybe it would make more sense to do this. So when I'm looking for new authors, I'm often thinking, okay, I, you know, I, I hope they have multiple books in them because that's what I enjoy. And, and, and they they tend to enjoy having me in their corner that way. Uh, you know, so and I can push them. And when you have a close relationship with with author and author, you can you can push them. But regardless of whether it's a new author or an older author, I usually go, okay, we really need three paragraphs. We got to focus on three paragraphs. Yeah, I'm not sure of your idea yet. We got to nail that idea before we build out the rest of the book proposal. We have to really make that idea sharp and unique and pure. It has to be from you. It has to be your idea you know so whether it's a biography of an individual we need to find out what's the kind of running thesis that we want to you work with on with that individual why is that individual worth writing about right so that has to be conveyed in that three those three paragraphs or if it's a political is- uh, issue or if it's a moment of history um you know or if it's a health book you know why why is this so special why does this need to be discussed we have to nail that if we don't nail that in three paragraphs we're not going to be able to sell the book hmm. and if you're not able to nail that in three paragraphs maybe you shouldn't be writing this book
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, so we do a lot of work that way i mean i'm i'm more comfortable doing that with my longer term authors you know, we're, you know, Matthew's just being an asshole again, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but a lot of them have felt this has been a very good exercise for them. So after we do that and we agree on the subject and the thesis of the book, then we get into all of the other stuff that we talked about, the other components of a book proposal. But it kind of falls into place after you do that initial work on those three paragraphs, I find. With really smart nonfiction authors, usually they, they get really engaged in that. And usually they get compelled from it. They're like, wow, okay, I needed that. I You know, it, it gives them a little turbo boost. You know, when you finally nail that, that, that idea, you know, I, uh, one of my clients came to me, or, or he was a new client. And he he was a law professor and he came to me and he wanted to do a book on um essentially on education and all of the strikes of teacher strikes that were going on and and all of this. And it, it was kind of academic and wonky and I had We had to work together to get to his big idea, which mainly is his thinking is that the Constitution essentially makes education a fundamental right. So from there, we were able to, okay, now that's interesting. Let's, let's work on that. It was there, but I just needed to draw him out and get him to think that way. And, and consequently, he wrote a terrific book just on that. Um, so it's that type of um, kind of homing in on the essential idea and expanding it a bit that that kind of uh, that I think works well for me when I'm working with authors.
0: So you mentioned um, working with a writer over the course of, say, their career. So for a number of books. So that made me think of um, older writers coming to you and is there ageism in publishing? So does does a writer's age matter to you? I mean, I don't imagine that you Google them and see when they were born, but how, I mean, in general, is that a concern in publishing? I mean, I know, you know, with fiction, there's a lot of debut authors, you know, they're you know, young people writing their first novel. But and I don't know like what the age range is in narrative nonfiction and if that matters, does that matter? And do you see ageism in publishing? I don't um
1: there's probably some ageism in publishing, but on the other hand, I've taken on Clients who have been in their 60s and 70s easily. And, and maybe, maybe, but but the here perhaps this is the difference, Barbara. If I'm taking someone on in, in their 60s or 70s, it's because I think their book idea is great. Mm-hmm. But especially in, in nonfiction, and, and I'm mostly speaking, probably the people I'm talking about would be academics. Mm-hmm. Um, I would hope that they had published before. That that's a little trickier, I find. And, and 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 I'll be honest with you, when queries come in and you know, and this is mostly fiction, you know, I'm a retired dentist. I you know, and now I'm turning to writing fiction full time.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: I'm sorry, that's, that's that's it's it's a little bit of an insult almost. I mean, so many of these writers have been working their butts off, you know, for a very long time, you know, and they've been getting rejections right and left from literary journals or wherever, websites, literary websites, you know, and you just don't oh, all of a sudden I've decided to be a writer. So my recommendation to, you know, maybe they're very talented writers who are starting in their 60s and 70s. My recommendation in their query letters would be not to say that you're retired. Say that you've been writing or, or, or hopefully you have been writing. Um, I mean, I, I find that, anyway. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but... But people have come to me who have worked with other agents mm-hmm. uh, you know, on books. You know, Usually they're pretty successful books for one reason or another. Maybe they had a, you know, you you know, you have to have a good relationship with your agent. You have to feel simpatico. You have to feel that you're on the same page, um, you know, with your thinking about your next book project. Mm-hmm. So there are cases that come along where you know an author might be so into that particular idea and the agent just couldn't agree that it's the right next move and if 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 you have a little bit of a breach there you're, you're you as an agent aren't serving your client well if you're not full-heartedly endorsing the project
0: mm-hmm. so do you want to hear in a query letter from a writer that they've been working with a developmental editor? Or would you yeah, rather I do. not?
2: I do.
1: I do. I think that's good. I think it's helpful. Um, it means the manuscript will be in better shape. There mm-hmm. are, look, there are so many <laughs> freelance
2: editors
1: now, <laughs> uh, you know, really talented people, you know. Most many of whom had very good positions in, in, in at publishers, and for one reason or another, they're freelance. Whether they're, you know, they you know, there's been a lot of layoffs over the past mm-hmm. decade or two, you know, and and so these people are, are doing fine work. So I, I think that that it's it's kind of a whole new layer of, of publishing that didn't exist when I started three decades ago.
2: Mm.
1: Um but I think it works. I mean it's I do I have concerns though that you know it's kind of unfair, you know, because not everyone can afford developmental editors and they're expensive.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, and and so you're gonna get I think that skewers a little bit. Um especially in the fiction space. Mm-hmm. Uh nonfiction I feel a little differently because often, especially with a lot of the authors I work with, they have full-time jobs, mm-hmm. you know, either as professors or as business leaders. Um so perhaps they can afford these developmental editors.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering about um, a writer, no matter what what a writer is working on, at a certain point, it's time to let it go. It's time to query an agent, look for an agent, have your pages ready, But there, but writers have a hard time. Well, both. I was gonna say writers have a hard time letting pages go. Writers are also impatient and let pages go too soon. Query an agent too soon. How? But how do you know when it's ready? You know, I mean, when when you've done all you can do, and it's just time to get it out there and see what the response is from an agent. When you're when you're mm. changing commas and you're putting you're putting the yeah
1: yeah. Well, there's that, but but I would advise you know the right are, are, are we we're talking about fiction now
0: we, both everything okay. well
1: yeah. let's mostly talk about fiction i think that it's so it's so tough it's so so hard i mean you you're right you can't hold too much but if you have something that's just so it's really compelling and really good even though you know it needs work you know you hopefully you will get um a bite and hopefully an offer for representation. Um it's it's very tricky though. I mean, I I I it's, I have I'm working with someone. I have not officially taken this person on, but I think the novel is so wonderful, it's so brilliant. There are these scenes that are just blow me away. I'm so empathetic towards the protagonist. Uh the word for word writing, sentence for sentence writing is just there. The imagery is powerful. Um, but it need, it it it's, it's not ready to go out mm-hmm. to editors because it will be rejected because it is not there enough. Twenty years ago, any I could send a mm-hmm. novel that I felt still needed some workout but in this landscape no way it has to be perfect it's just this yes. fiction is so competitive and so you know i i did a big editorial overhaul of this novel you know like 6 months ago and then she did a, a revision and i was kind of annoyed because i didn't feel she addressed many of the things that i discussed so i had to do this whole other <clears throat> Whole other edit and you know, five page editorial letter. You know, I hope she can do it, but but I might not be able to take her on if she Mm can't. You know, it's it's just you know, writing, right? You know, writing, we need full scenes. We, you can't, you can't, you know, you need multiple characters, you need. So much of, yeah, and even we're even talking about people with MFAs and all of that. It's just sometimes uh.
0: Well, you just said fiction is so competitive. Is nonfiction as competitive?
1: Nonfiction is is as competitive, but it's easier to know that you that you have a if the idea is right that you have something special that needs to to be published you know that that's why I'll take it on that's why I'll mm-hmm. agree to represent this book and and a lot of that has to do with basic market research competition mm-hmm. whereas when i talk about fiction fiction is still so deeply felt and subjective and unique that y- y- you, you that's what I mean. Whereas nonfiction, oh, obviously there needs to be that book, that mm-hmm. particular business book, or that particular history book. Oh, there's an opening there. Um, so it's often very difficult to sell well, no, it's not as difficult to sell, quite frankly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: because. But I, I'm not going to, uh, I'll have rejected many things that aren't right. Right. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, because I think you're saying with nonfiction, it's more the topic it's or the, the premise.
1: The topic, the premise, the idea, and the author's expertise. Right. Whereas fiction is the power of the writing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the power of the themes, the original originality of the voice.
0: Um, and those it's complicated, it's complicated, <laughs> but that's why we love it. Right. Right. So what about small presses? Do you deal with small presses? I mean, it used to be years ago, maybe 20 years ago, that agents didn't want um, a project that was not going to bring in an advance over, I don't know, $10,000, something. There was some figure. And it seems that these days, agents are more willing to go to smaller presses just because smaller presses are doing good work, because sometimes they put a lot of energy into the promotion and the book ends up doing well because of that. So the advance isn't as important. I mean, what do you think about small I,
1: I I have been doing a lot of work with small presses. I think they're 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 especially you're seeing a lot of smaller presses with very kind of tightly curated lists in a good way that I kind of like. You know, and yes, the advances are small, uh, but they aren't out, you mm-hmm. know. And books are published well you know they'll earn out and they can do quite well uh you know i beacon press i do a bunch of books with beacon press i really like you know you know where they are kind of politically and they, I kind of in, with them and so one of my authors is doing a bunch of books with them uh ben bella books is, is kind of a creative publisher they do very well with business books one of my I have several business authors with them. Um, Yeah, no, and then more literate publishers, uh, Milkweed, uh, some of, you know, a bunch of other ones. Uh, There's this smaller book that a publisher called Monkfish Publishing that's doing a lot of uh, really good spirituality titles. I just sold a book to them um so yeah and and i think i think they they do creative marketing i think there's a lot you know a lot more innovation going on in some of the smaller publishers um yeah i'm a big supporter of smaller publishers these days. so
0: We have a few minutes left, so I want to talk a little bit more about the query letter and about interpreting rejections, okay? Because, again, it used to be you'd at least get some sort of rejection letter back from an agent. And these days, you know, and often on websites or publishers lunch or wherever, they'll say, you know, if you don't hear from us, we're not interested. So there's that sort of rejection then there's a rejection that you get a form rejection you get you know your email and it comes it comes in it's just like not for us sorry and then rejections that have short notes so if you get a form rejection or no response at all should you assume that you should never um, and this is a question that came in from a from a listener. Should you assume that you should never query them again about anything, or could it just be, they're too busy, this project only? I mean, how do you interpret rejections, I guess is is the broad question as a how writer. Should a
1: write, how should a writer int- interpret yeah, rejection? Yeah. I think a writer just has to make sure the query letter is is tip top you know perfect uh agents are just going to reject um i i i uh send a note or an assistant or an intern will send a note to every query that's received by my agency i think that's doesn't i think a lot of agents aren't doing that these days um but that's the way we do it and it is pretty much a form uh note um but it's perfectly respectful. I, I, they, they're going to get rejections. They have to just keep trying. But they, they that's why the query matters so much. And the, and the the sloppy
0: queries that come in, I mean, it's it's amazing. What like what? What would be considered sloppy? Like dear occupant, kind of thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we all have those little chestnuts, you know, when they. Dear Michael, when my name's Matthew, or you know, all of those things, or or just, just not even being in coherent sentences, and you want to write a whole book? <laughs> it's just kind of strange. I've, I've never really understood how these people <laughs> expect to succeed. Yeah. Uh, but if you're a if you're a writer and you've been trying hard and you know, you, you, you know, if you're, okay, if you're a fiction writer, of course, it would help if you have had some of your stories published, mm-hmm. you know, or if you've, you know, I do think, you know, the MFAs do help and who you've worked with uh, helps, you know, if you do everything right, and you still are getting rejections, you um, you just have to keep trying, but you but you also have to you have have to really target your 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 potential agents. I mean, I think these people, you know, they go out to a hundred agents. That's crazy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you have to figure out what that each agent you're reaching out to, you know, if that agent would actually be a good fit. You know, that's why more and more it's important to check out the acknowledgement pages of, of novels you admire. Um, I'm always, you know, when people mention a particular book that I've worked on, that's, that's always very helpful.
0: So, but couldn't they just go to your website and go, oh, he's worked on this. So I'm going to mention this. I mean, do you want to know something more like a I read? Such
1: a- that's at least a bit of an effort. <laughs> Instead of using some database that's just going right. you know, to spam out you know emails to 200 agents
0: sure
1: they've so looked at my website and and considered that I've I actually work with similar types of authors that's a huge big first step <laughs>
0: <laughs> it sounds like not a lot of uh, writers do that
1: Well, the quality of some of these queries are just, they're pretty atrocious.
0: They're fishing, right? They're fishing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So you said MFAs matter. I would assume that, you know, a writer, like you said, talking about someone they worked with or something they do within the literary community that shows they're plugged in would matter. It's a plus. Mm hmm.
1: You know, but for really great fiction, I mean, it's you. You what you're trying to do is just get the agent to reply and say, "Hey, I want to read your manuscript."
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So you have to do every. You have to use every card you have.
0: So you, as an agent, how long? I mean, how many times will you send out a a a proposal before you go? You know what? We got to do something with this because there's no bites. Or or maybe they've read it and you keep getting rejections. Like 10, 20, 50. At what point will you say we need to go back in and and do some tweaking? Oh, that's
1: a good question. That's a good question. I think that my rounds, you know, you typically go out to maybe eight or ten editors initially, the first round. And then I'll I'll take time. If it doesn't sell right away, then I mean the the responses that I typically get from, from editors are very thoughtful, you know, and, and sometimes they're very helpful. And so I'll say, okay, I'll get together with the author and I'll say, let's let's read these comments together and kind of Think it through, is what's, what's, there something wrong in the proposal? What are we missing? Is there anything valuable uh, in these comments? And, and sometimes we'll say, okay, let's do this. And, and the author will make that adjustment before we go out for the second round. And sometimes we'll go, no, it's still a bloody good proposal. We just gotta keep trying. So we'll we'll make another effort. I usually won't go beyond three rounds, to be honest. It, it's kind of the writing is on the wall when when
0: you're at that
2: level, I think.
0: So you've gotten up almost 30 no's at that point. And you're like, let's let's put it to rest.
1: I'll put it to rest, but but I, I really don't like to not sell everything I go out with. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't go out with a lot. You know, so it's kind of. I have a pretty good track record, so I, it'll bother me, <laughs> when I commit to taking on a project, I intend to sell it. Right. So, um, so I'll keep it in mind, and I'll think if maybe I'll come across some some other author or agent, or, or rather a, a, another editor, I might think of or. And, and then' I'll, I might approach that person but I don't do that too often mm-hmm. but I I I just when I take a project on I intend to sell it
0: right we are at the end of our time what haven't we talked about that we should have talked about
1: um what have we not talked about I uh I think we've covered most things.
0: Okay. Do you have any any words of advice or pearls <laughs> of wisdom for, especially for, I think, the nonfiction writers out there since you're primarily a nonfiction agent?
1: I would just say that really try to refine your idea. You know, there's one thing you you're you can be a great academic or a great journalist um or a great doctor or a, or a great business person but what really ref, work on refining your idea what makes your idea and then your book completely unique and why is this book needed so try to be a little more do do the work before you start approaching the agents and you'll have a lot more success
0: do you ever take on books that have been self-published
1: you know somebody's
0: written a business manual or book of some sort and
1: I really don't
0: I haven't no
2: (laughs)
1: 10 years ago, I was worried, really worried about self-publishing. I thought it was just gonna completely rock the boat and all of mainstream book publishing was just gonna fall apart and, and that hasn't happened.
0: Why do you think, why do you think?
1: Hmm. Maybe still because of the basic infrastructure for distribution and marketing. You know, even though some of the big publishers aren't particularly innovative, it's still there,
0: right.
1: you know, I, I think a lot of books are getting published. I think, I think there are a lot of very good books getting published. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of bad books getting published, but I don't know how old the the industry, you know keeps keeps, keeps going. going yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank goodness, Matthew, thank you so much. For taking oh, thanks
1: so much for having me. It's
0: been fun. and has uh, fun. Thank you. Thanks to all of you for taking the time to listen. And a huge thanks to our Patreon supporters who helped to make this show possible. I have a Substack page called Pen on Fire where I talk about writing and include material from authors and agents that didn't make it onto the show. Thanks to Travis Barrett, who does our music and sound editing. And by the way, if you like the music you hear on the show, you can find an album's worth of typewriter music on Spotify. Search out the artist Just My Type. Travis also has other music on there under his name. You can access our archive of shows, 25 years worth, at writersonwriting.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email podcast at gmail.com. You can reach Travis Barrett at travisbarrettcreative at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. And in the meantime, remember to stay in the chair.